Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Katherine Oliver. Coral reefs are a critical ecosystem for our environment, a source of food, livelihoods, and cultural heritage for 500 million people. They're also likely to disappear by 2050 if the goals of the Paris Agreement are not met. That's why Bloomberg Philanthropies is promoting coral reef conservation through our Vibrant Oceans Initiative, which works with coastal communities, nonprofit organizations, local and national governments, policymakers, and academic groups to create more sustainable ocean ecosystems. Our guest today, Sam Teicher, co-founded Coral Vita, an organization dedicated to regenerating dying reefs. Based in Grand Bahama, the team creates high-tech coral farms that grow coral up to 50 times faster while boosting resiliency against global warming and acidifying oceans. Healthy corals are then transported and transplanted back into degraded reefs, bringing them back to life. Coral Vita also prioritizes coastal economies by working with local communities, public officials and private companies to improve education and create new jobs. Most recently, Coral Vita received the inaugural Earthshot Prize, a prestigious global environment prize launched by Prince William to incentivize change and help repair our planet with innovative solutions over the next 10 years. Our founder, Mike Bloomberg, serves as global advisor to the winners of the Earthshot Prize, including Coral Vita. Bloomberg, the company, along with Bloomberg Philanthropies, has supported the Earthshot Prize since its creation in 2019 and is a Global Alliance founding partner. In this episode, Gemma Reed, the global head of corporate philanthropy at Bloomberg LP, sits down with Sam Teicher. They discuss how he created Coral Vita with his co-founder, Gator Halpern, what makes Coral Vita's reef restoration technique unique, his experience with the Earthshot Prize, and how he's planning on using his prize money to expand Coral Vita's impact. Thank you for joining us today to hear more about the exciting work that Bloomberg Philanthropies is helping to drive in ocean conservation. I'm Gemma Reed, and I oversee global corporate philanthropy at Bloomberg. I'm delighted to be talking to the inspiring innovator and environmentalist Sam Teicher, who is the co-founder and chief reef officer of Coral Vita, a dynamic organization committed to accelerating progress in coral reef preservation. Sam, it's really great to see you again. So can you start by telling us more about Coral Vita and the important mission that is behind the work that you do. Of course. Well, thanks so much for having me, Gemma, and uh, thanks to everyone listening in. So coral reefs, I think when we think about them, most people can imagine these brilliant, dazzling underwater gardens of Eden almost, and they are. I've been a scuba diver since I was 13. I've been lucky enough to go and see some of the more magical reefs on Earth and they are truly spectacular. But what I think a lot of people don't also realize is just how important they are, and not just for marine biodiversity, but for humanity and for society. So this one ecosystem takes up about two-tenths of a point of the ocean floor. It doesn't take up a lot of the ocean, but it sustains the livelihoods of up to one billion people in around 100 countries and territories, along with a quarter of all marine life, And the most recent estimates are that they generate $2.7 trillion annually through things like tourism and coastal protection and fisheries. So this is one single ecosystem that is, at the end of the day, also a socioeconomic powerhouse. The challenge, though, is that reefs are dying. 
So since the 1970s, we've lost over half of the world's coral reefs. And we are currently on track to lose over 90% of remaining reefs by 2050. If we don't hit our 1.5 degree targets for climate change, it will be closer to 99%. And as, as we're recording this right now, the Great Barrier Reef is experiencing another sort of mass mortality event. So this is not just some speculative problem for the future, this is happening right in front of our eyes. And again, that's an ecological tragedy and it's also a socioeconomic catastrophe. If we lose coral reefs, it's not a world I wanna imagine, both because we would lose such an incredible ecosystem, but also one that can cause so many problems for so many people around the world. And so at Coral Vita, while acknowledging that the best thing to do for coral reefs is to stop killing them by acting on climate change and ending habitat destruction, what we're trying to do is completely transform and scale up coral reef restoration where we can grow corals, outplant them into reefs with more resilient fragments of coral to help recover these ecosystems so that they will be around for future generations. Thank you. What a mission. Incredibly ambitious. And obviously there are other organizations also focusing on reef conservation around the world, but Coral Vita has a very unique and innovative approach and you kind of touched on it just briefly there. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what makes your approach in your very specific reef restoration technique so different from some of the other partners in this space? Sure. Well, and as you said, there are incredible individuals, communities, organizations that have been doing this work for decades and we wouldn't be here without them, but we are taking a mission-driven business approach to coral reef restoration. So again, rooted in, for myself personally, as well as our whole team, a lifelong love for ocean and for nature, but a recognition that the loss of coral reefs is this huge economic crisis that threatens prosperity and security. What we're doing at Coral Vita is we're incorporating methods to grow corals in months instead of decades, uh, accelerate their growth rates by up to 50 times faster, strengthen their resilience to threats like climate change so that they can better survive oceans of the future. And then are using a commercial land-based farming approach. Instead of a underwater garden here, underwater garden there, centralized facilities where we can use state-of-the-art aquaculture equipment. And if we have enough land, just add more and more tanks to potentially supply an entire island or nation's reefs from a single site, all while taking a mission-driven business approach. So Going back to the sort of that opening question, without coral reefs, that threatens tourism economies. Without coral reefs, coastlines, infrastructure, people's lives are exposed to storm surge because they act like natural wave breaks. Without coral reefs, fisheries can collapse. There's even pharmaceuticals on the market that come from coral reef medicinal compounds. And so what we're looking at is that value. And so what we do is take a business approach to it. We sell reef restoration as a service to hotels, developers, insurers, corporate sponsors, development agencies, anyone who has skin in the game and the value of reefs can hire Coral Vita to restore the reefs they depend on. And then the farms, as they are functioning sort of as these coral production facilities on land, uh, serve as education centers for local communities. That's very much a core part of our identity and who we are is empowering the communities where we work through workforce development, as well as these sort of marine educational programs. But then it's also a tourism attraction. So if you were visiting us here in Grand Bahama, you could pay to visit our coral farm. And through entrance fees or people adopting coral, which they can do in person or even online, they can help fund further restoration work. And then the final piece that we're really looking to tap into is how there's a lot of emerging conservation financing mechanisms coming online, such as foreign debt in the Seychelles or Belize being forgiven for that money being spent on conservation projects. 
major insurance players like Swiss Re or Willis Towers Watson pioneering reef insurance policies, blue bonds and biodiversity credits, basically looking at how if we can create a financially sustainable model that can fund ecosystem scale restoration, which is critically needed. And that's together with a, a more sort of high tech approach and a few other things sprinkled in, that's what we're doing. It's really different to try and transform reef restoration and really kickstart an entire restoration economy. Incredible and fascinating. You're clearly personally very passionate about the work that you're leading and the impact that you're making. It would be lovely to hear a little bit more about your personal background. You mentioned earlier, obviously you've been a scuba diver since an early age, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your kind of professional journey, how you ended up working in this field. And I guess what inspired you and your co-founder, Gator Halpen, to commit yourselves to restoring coral reefs through the Coral Vita program. I'm originally from Washington, D.C., the Potomac River is not what I think evokes the imagination for vibrant coral reefs. I, uh, I did not grow up imagining I was going to be a coral farmer. And I'll frankly also be the first one to say as much as I love my job and how important this whole field is, it's also a job that shouldn't exist. We shouldn't be living in a world where coral reef restoration is even necessary, but we are. And so I've always, I guess, had a, a passion for trying to fix problems. Before I was born, my father was a diplomat. He worked on Middle East peacemaking on behalf of the U.S. government and definitely went through his fair share of experiences and learning how tough it is to deal with intractable problems, but also how important it is. And together with my mom, who's an attorney and have just been the greatest supporters of me and my brother our whole lives, definitely drew from them the inspiration to tackle some of these incredibly pressing challenges. And so I was interested in being a diplomat. I went to college. I studied political science in the end. And while thinking about, again, a lot of these big problems that we're facing with this lifelong love for nature that, again, goes into the oceans, but also grew up hiking in the Appalachian Mountains near D.C. and going fishing and, and having all sorts of other sort of nature-based experiences, that climate change was something that really impacts everything. And that impacts people. It impacts security and public health. And so I started focusing on that within college. I got into graduate school at the Yale School of the Environment for a master's program and took a gap year. And that's when I ended up in Mauritius, as I was talking about before. I helped set up the environmental branch for my friend's NGO, Eli Africa. So I got this experience in the NGO space, came back to grad school, which is where I met Gator, which is really his name, great name for a coral farmer. And Gator was coming at things more from the environmental science and academia track. As he often likes to say, he felt like he was writing the obituary for the planet. And that experience working for an NGO was amazing. And I have a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation and gratitude for, for so many nonprofits around the world, but also experienced how you can really be handicapped, among other things, in terms of achieving impact by how the funding model works. And so thinking about there's this need for sort of a grand strategy for sustainability and for tackling the climate crisis. My senior thesis actually earlier in college was climate change as a national security threat. So having thought about all these things from different perspectives, having this personal love for coral reefs, and then seeing how there's an urgent and massive need to solve for the global reef degradation and that the existing policy, academic and nonprofit structures, while critical and again, deserving a tremendous amount of support, still wasn't tackling this at the pace and scale needed. Gator and I thought, well, what if we take a mission-driven business approach? What if we create a company that can tackle this problem? And that is 
how I came to be a coral farmer and how Coral Vita got started. What an extraordinary background and, and amazing to be able to bring that breadth of, you know, very diverse experience, I think, to address this issue. So obviously at Bloomberg Philanthropies, we recognize the devastating threat coral reefs are facing. You've touched on some of that. It's an issue we're committed to support through our Vibrant Oceans Initiative and funding global work to ensure the reef's best place to survive climate change are being protected, which you know fits in so, so wonderfully with the work that you're focused on. Coral reefs are such a critical infrastructure to our human world. And so often, I think the human population is not necessarily as aware of that as they may be. Obviously, if you're in a coastal community, maybe more so. But I wonder if you could just touch on a few of the benefits or you know kind of reiterate some of those benefits that those coral reefs do provide for humans and our societies in a little bit more detail of course one way to consider it is just really how interconnected we are we humanity to each other we humanity to ecosystems and how ecosystems are linked to other ecosystems and i sort of use that as a preface because i was here in grand bahama during hurricane dorian it was the strongest storm to ever hit the Bahamas in recorded history. 80% of Grand Bahama was underwater. We had a 23-foot storm surge in some places here at the coral farm where I'm speaking to you from. We had 17 feet, and the 100-year flood event was 5 feet. 225-mile-an-hour wind gusts for two days, utter devastation. On top of everything else that I experienced and saw, though, was how mangrove forests as well as coral reefs, literally save people's lives. Because like coral reefs, mangroves not only act as fish habitat, not only are tourism attractions, not only are better at sequestering carbon than terrestrial forests, but they act as storm barriers. They're effectively living seawalls. And there was one settlement in particular out in, uh, called Sweeting Ski off the east end of Grand Bahama. They got the eye of the storm, the wind changed from three different directions, we were bringing relief supplies out there a few days afterwards and every person was alive and we couldn't understand how. And person after person after person pointed to the mangrove forest that surrounded their island and said that slowed down the storm surge enough for me to get to the second story, to get to my neighbor's house, to get to higher ground. And in a sort of heartbreaking reality, just 20 minutes away in McLeanstown, similar kind of settlement buildings and community, they had cut down most of their mangroves in recent years. and a lot of people died there. And I use this point to illustrate the fact that also coral reefs are healthier when you have nearby mangrove forests, speaking of that interconnected nature, because the mangroves filter out a lot of pollutants before they reach the coral reefs. So this is one example of how, again, many ecosystems, but mangroves and coral reefs, they save our lives, they protect us while creating jobs, while providing food, and it doesn't just have to impact people who are living right there. I mean, you could be in Oklahoma, you could be in Chad, you could be in Kazakhstan. There is a reality that whether it's the food that ends up on your plate through a seafood dinner, whether it's refugee situations that are created because people can't feed their families or pay the bills or their homes are underwater, so they're on the move. Coral reefs have an impact, including on the good side. You know, people who want to put their toes into you know, nice white sand on tropical beaches, even if you don't even go in the water, that sand is there because of coral reefs as well. So for so many reasons, for people around the world, we rely on all of these ecosystems, but in particular coral reefs more than we often account for. And again, just as another example about how this isn't just some theoretical thing, 
the Arab Spring, one of the final sort of matchsticks to it was rising food prices. And the summer before, there were droughts and wildfires in Ukraine and Russia, particularly relevant to today, I guess, that caused spikes in food prices. And the major you know, source of wheat in North Africa and the Middle East was from the Ukraine and Russia. And so you think about how something very, very far away can cause, it's an environmental issue that can cause massive ramifications that we're still experiencing today. Apply that to coral reefs, apply that to the loss of habitats around the world, which is why we need to take this seriously, but also why there's these opportunities for solutions to come into play to ensure not only can we enjoy the benefits that come from healthy ecosystems, we can help prevent some of the more serious consequences that we'll face if we don't step up and take action. Thank you for sharing both your personal and geopolitical landscape. It's really important, I think, to be reminded of, of quite how critical this issue is to address. So you mentioned solutions there. It's been quite a year for Coralvita. You've had some you know, incredible achievements over recent months. But one of the most prestigious is something that we at Bloomberg Philanthropies are very passionate about. You were one of the winners of the inaugural Earthshot Prize in 2021. Now, this was a prize established by His Royal Highness Prince William, conceived to both identify and accelerate some of the most ambitious solutions to climate change in areas, including reviving our oceans, which was the prize that you won. Obviously, we at Bloomberg Philanthropy are very proud that we were founding partners and that Mike Bloomberg continues to be a global advisor to the winners. So it's been very exciting for us to follow how the prize has, has grown and developed this year. But it really must be extraordinary for you to have been part of that and to have gone through the process and, you know, and emerged as one of those five winners of the first year. So what I'd love to hear from you is a little bit more about your experience with the competition you know, going through that application and development, and I guess what's happened, you know, since then, just the impact that that's had on Coral Vita. Well, it's certainly been surreal, <laughs> to say the least, and incredibly, it's, it's it's an honor. We appreciate your support from Bloomberg Philanthropies and the whole Earthshot Prize community. And really, again, we hope this is a win, not just for Coral Vita, which it clearly is, but for the whole coral restoration community and for coral reefs, because it really is an incredible spotlight to shine on the problem, but also the potential solutions and the action that we can collectively take to protect the ecosystems that sustain us all. It's really been incredible. And I think what's really special about the Earthshot Prize, I'm not going to act like it isn't nice to win the prize money. And that's amazing and huge. And it's going to help us, again, launch a lot of really cool things, scale up our impact, do more educational programming for local communities, a number of different things. But this community that Earthshot Prize is harnessing on our behalf the philanthropic and the NGO and the corporate partners to help us scale the doors that are being opened to more opportunities. It's always been our vision operating from here for our first farm in Grand Bahama to launch farms all around the world to help kickstart a restoration economy. And now those doors are opening much faster from Costa Rica to the UAE and elsewhere. So it's a good problem to have that we've got a lot more work on our plate, but it's incredibly exciting. And that's what we're really looking to do is use the Earthshot Prize to sort of catalyze things. And we also had a very incredible visit recently by the Royal Highnesses, Prince William and Kate to the coral farm and to actually have taken them out and seen our work and to plant corals with them was definitely one of the more incredible experiences that I've, I've ever had and wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for the Earthshot Prize. Amazing to hear about that 
And obviously, as you say, one of the critical parts of the Airship Prize being access to networks and experiences and obviously, you know, drawing world attention to the work that you're doing. You referenced the prize that you won. And of course, it's a, a million pounds from the Earthshot Prize for each of those winners to help scale that work. And again, you referenced a few of those projects already where you're seeing some of that happening. But I wonder if you could expand a little more and give us a little bit more insight into how this money is going to help you really deepen the impact of the work that you're doing and both accelerate and expand your programs. Sure. Well, certainly glad it was a million pounds, not a million dollars at the current conversion rate. Helps a little bit extra. Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking at a range of different things. I mean, whether it's expanding our team and our impact here in the Bahamas. So we currently operate out of Freeport, Grand Bahama. We were supported by the Grand Bahama Port Authority initially, followed by the government of the Bahamas. We've signed restoration service contracts and are amidst everything that we've experienced from both Hurricane Dorian to COVID-19. We're relaunching our ecotourism offerings again, but we not only want to restore reefs here in Grand Bahama, but eventually throughout the whole country. There's a, a new permitting regime right now in place in the Bahamas that's unfortunately halting a lot of people who are trying to help ecosystems from doing their work at a larger scale. So we're going to continue doing this here in Grand Bahama, but eventually we want to, again, restore reefs throughout the whole country. And from there, farms in new countries. So the prize money also can go towards whether it's the groundwork for those future farms, R&D projects to improve the efficacy in coral reef restoration and in coral farming, bringing on, you know, this is a space that I think is it's the last thing that is usually designed for coral restoration. A lot of stuff is off the shelf from hardware stores, PVC pipes and egg crates. And this is a space that needs material scientists and roboticists and community champions. And across the board, we hope that we can really kickstart a lot of initiatives that will, again, bring more people into this space. And also it'll ramp up our community programming here. So it's all incredibly exciting. And then the last piece that we announced recently is it's also helping fund the outplanting of 10,000 corals by July, which is our target. So again, we're still building up the revenue model. I mentioned we signed these restoration contracts, but then there's funding available that also will go physically towards reef restoration here in Grand Bahama so that local communities and hotels and dive shops and government will all be able to experience those benefits. And hopefully also will be a draw for more people to come visit Grand Bahama and experience these restored reefs for themselves. Certainly keeping busy, Sam. Um, I mean, there are so many challenges, obviously, still to go as we all work in partnership to address the environmental crisis. But, you know, I think the Earthshot Prize was very clear about its goal to pair the urgency with optimism to really kind of drive action and positive change in a narrative which can be quite bleak, particularly in the face of so many challenges. This is clearly something Coral Vita is setting out to do. You know, you kind of embrace that spirit. So as we kind of come to the end of this conversation, what I'd love to do is focus a little bit on this spirit of optimism that you represent. What are you most excited about for the future in the field that you're working in and, and Coral Vita? What is giving you real hope, I suppose, to keep driving forward at this time in the face of, you know, often pretty devastating consequences? I remain inspired by people. That you have this community of coral restoration practitioners and scientists community leaders and indigenous groups and students and emerging private sector leaders and governments all starting to rally together. I mean, I, I describe myself as an optimistic realist. The space I work in, it is full of 
a lot of challenges and I am under no illusion, not only how difficult it is to make our work successful, but that the future that Coral Reefs face. And that's why I mentioned before, the best thing to do is still for our leaders in politics and business and the media to stop killing them by solving for climate change and overfishing, pollution, habitat destruction. But if we waved a magic wand, which sounds wonderful, and we hit carbon neutrality tomorrow, the oceans are going to continue warming, which is why we need to simultaneously scale up adaptation solutions like restoration as we then implement those mitigation solutions. And there is a real opportunity to actually solve problems if we have the willpower to do it. As much as people want to say this is going to cost so much money, putting aside the studies that show for every dollar spent on something like restoration, there are you know, up to $30 worth of benefits. There's plenty of money to fund this too. And there are so many committed, passionate, smart people that can be supported. I really think we can have sort of the natural infrastructure of the world funded and rebuilt in a way that I'm just going to use one example. If we have living seawalls off the coast of Miami that not only slow down storm surge and fight against erosion, but that also are tourism attractions and boost fishery production rather than traditional gray concrete seawalls that are expensive and don't have long shelf life. It's a win, 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 win. Again, this restoration economy, I think, is something that really can be harnessed that also will create good local jobs for those communities while protecting ecosystems that sustain us all. There are still reasons for hope, but we have to be real about the challenges we face. We have to overcome everything from bureaucratic inertia to lack of education amongst key stakeholders not to mention just the innovation challenges that still exist for how do we plant millions and billions of corals, let alone grow them. But, you know, I'm confident in our ability to problem solve and to act. And I do think one of the things that's most incredible about the Earthshot Prize is that one of the core elements of when they choose them is inspiration. It's not just about how effective is the solution, but how can we inspire people to act? And that beyond the finalists and the winners, whether it's, you know, six-year-olds to 66-year-olds, Everyone and anyone has the ability to make a difference. We really can create more solutions. We can grow this community that we can come together to fix the planet because it's, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also in our best interest to do it. And we have the capacity to do so. So I remain optimistic and inspired and also very real and ready about the challenges that we face. And it's time to get to work. Fantastic. Sam, it's been great talking to you. In many ways, you know, when you hear about the work that you're doing and what you represent, it's a microcosm of, you know, incredible kind of convening of people and passion and innovation technology and also time and optimism. You know, the moment seems very right, I think, post, you know, well, at least in the wake of COVID and some of the other kind of world challenges, just to see everyone coming together in a way that they never have before. So I'll embrace that spirit of optimism. It's been fantastic talking to you and understanding more about the work that you've been doing and your plans for the future. I know we're all very excited about seeing what you and the Coral Vita team will be doing with your very ambitious brief. Thanks so much, Gemma. I appreciate everyone listening in. And hopefully you and everyone else will also be able to come and plant corals with us one day soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to Gemma Reed and Sam Teicher for joining us. As always, the views of our guests are entirely their own. And Bloomberg Philanthropies hasn't independently verified any of the statements made by this episode's guests. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data. This episode was created by Devin Alessio, Amy June, Sarah Washington-Gogan, Sabrina Breifel, Ivy Lee, Amanda Mack, Donna Nudds, and Lauren Nolan.
To learn more about Coral Vita, follow them on Twitter at Coral Vita Wreaths. To learn more about the Earthshot Prize, please visit earthshotprize.org. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Catherine Oliver. Thanks for listening. 